Hi there. A quick note before you start listening to this episode. As the podcast has evolved, we've come to focus more directly on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizational life. The episode you're currently listening to focuses more broadly on the topic of creating purposeful organizations. So if that's what you're after, then listen on. But if you're looking for more DEI-focused content, we suggest skipping forward a few episodes and looking for the ones titled Inclusion at Work. Happy listening. So we put it out into the world and we sat there. And I remember sitting there watching the website and seeing nothing happen. And I get a call about three hours later um, and it's Jack. He's sitting on the stoop of his place up in Queens. I'm sitting in my dark bedroom, nearly in tears. He's nearly in tears. Uh, we got one uh, application and all of our media budget was gone. Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast, where we celebrate and learn from the leaders making positive change for people, the planet and their organisations. We also talk to world-class experts who share their insights, knowledge and tools to help you make it happen. At Leaders for Good, we believe all organisations can profitably integrate doing good into their business. Hi, everyone. We have a treat of a conversation for you today. Kerry and I sat down with Jason Maggs. Now, Jason has over a decade of experience working with some of the world's largest brands in the field of communication strategy. But it's his dual role that he holds at the moment as Senior Director of Strategy and also Global Head of Good for Initiative, who are a communications agency. And we dive into how Jason came by a role of global head of good. We explore some of the trials, tribulations, successes, lessons learned along the way. And we dig into how you can think about integrating a bit more good into your role. So without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Jason Maggs. Well, welcome to another episode, well, the second episode of the, the Leaders for Good podcast. Um, we have uh, Kerry Boys with me as always. Good morning. Um, I'm Phil Cross and today we are lucky enough to be joined by Jason Maggs. Jason, how are you today? G'day. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I feel honoured to be the second. And, and only behind uh, only behind Andrew Davies and CEO of, of uh, B Corp Australia, so you're in. Uh, so so far, you're in good company. It's all it's all downhill from here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> so um, I would have I would have given the uh, the listeners a little bit of a potted bio for you um, uh, before we before we started talking today. But I, I, I always love to hear in your own words how do you how do you describe what you what you do? What's your what's your role, Jason? Yeah, too easy. My role's a funny one. So I am a marketing or advertising strategist by trade, as you will. So, you know, 50% of my time is still still writing strategies for brands and, and making sure that they connect into culture uh, with great success. Um, and then the other 50% of my role is as global head of good of an organization called Initiative. So they're in a communications agency. Uh, and so my for good uh, portion of my role is really working with non-for-profits to help them to realise their potential and create long-lasting change in the world, uh, but also working with our existing clients uh, on their CSR initiatives. So making sure that they're, you know, they're walking the talk uh, in what they do, uh, but also to ensure that they live in the world a better place, um, you know, not just in terms of profit, uh, but also in terms of impact and culture. Super interesting. And obviously that's a role that we're very excited about, a head of good role. And how did you get to be a head of good what was the path to that role i've not seen the title head of good on in many job <laughs> descriptions so yeah if but you we could, want more of them but we want more of them actively in the world yeah. so yeah I, I, I hope we get to a place where we don't need them to be completely frank you know that it's just a core function of business um would be Fair. really great and look i thought on the title i thought it was a little bit wanky to be honest uh, the global head of good um but it is what i've got now but how it came about was about two and a half, three years ago, I was working in New York City uh, for the same organization, uh, working over there as a strategist. And 
Um, at that time in my career, uh, I'll be completely frank and sorry to all of my bosses if they do listen to this. Um, you know, I was kind of one foot out the door. Uh, I'd, I'd really lost purpose in what I was doing. Um, I was working for some really large, um, you know, fast food companies and, and some companies that, you know, if you look at it on face value, weren't doing amazing things for culture and for, for the better good, the better and betterment of society. So mm. I, was, I was there mentally, um, but then I got introduced to a, a, a fellow called Jack Manning Bancroft, who's the founder and CEO of, of a non-for-profit called AIM, which is the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. So they help kids, um, they build bridges between high schools and universities uh, for underprivileged kids and specifically here in Australia for Indigenous um, and Torres Strait Islander kids. And so they'd had wild success here in Australia and they've been trying to launch in the States for quite a while, a uh, few years actually. And I got introduced to Jack and, and to have like a half an hour coffee catch up just to see how we could launch over in the States. Well, that half an hour kind of led into being about three hour long session where we sat in a room and we came up with crazy ideas. Um, and we we're going back and forth, back and forth on how we'd do it. Uh, and I, um, you know, eventually, you know, I challenged him and said, hey, how's about we change the way that we do it? How's about we, how about instead of we go after the vice chancellor and the presidents of universities, how's about we flip the, the paradigm and we go for university students and get them to rally their um, presidents and vice chancellors to have this, um, this, this model of mentoring in their universities? Anyway, so... Uh, Fast forward, um, it was all a wild success. Um, you know, we eventually uh, launched in the States. Um, and off the back end of that, I, um, you know, I, I, I reflected on what we were able to achieve as an organisation and how, when we use what we do best for those that need it the most and how much change we can actually affect. Um, and so I, I put together a little bit of a pitch and sat at the front of Matt Baxter's uh, office, who's the global CEO of Initiative, with my little pitch in hand and, and walked in and said, look, look what we're able to achieve with AIM. Um, look at the, the, you know, the lives that we've affected. You know, imagine if we had a department that was dedicated to doing just that. So we use all of our resources, all of our influence, all of our skills for doing good. Um, and, and, you know, to my, you know, surprise in that moment, he said, yep, absolutely. Let's do it. And you're going to lead it. And that's when the reality sunk in. I went, oh shit, what have I got myself into? Um, and we've been doing that ever since. Uh, but, there is a much longer story to, to the actual inception of this, this good role and, and what we do. And I learned a lot of lessons along the way, you know, like how we usually do business, how we usually plan a $100 million campaign for one of our clients isn't necessarily what's going to work when it comes to doing good at all. And so there was a lot of ups and downs. I, I think we'd both like to hear some of those, uh, some of those ups and downs, but just, just reflecting on a couple of things you said there, um, we are big fans of the effective altruism movement, which is about maximizing the good you can do in the world and, and looking at your position and your ability to generate income, your ability to use specialist skill sets. And um, I'm not sure if you did this consciously or you were, you were aware of effective altruism when you were kind of thinking through, wow, look at what we can do when we, um, you know, when we, when we sort of turn the power of our business on, on these kind of challenges and these kind of problems. But, that, you know, that's really, a, um, you know, part of their, their ethos and their message. So I, th I think it's super interesting that you, you kind of came to that al almost organically, mm. I suspect. And I think yeah, a lot of people in that situation would often think, I know what I'll do. I need to go and work for a not-for-profit. I need mm. to find meaning. Mm. The answer there is not for profit. And actually, you kind of did the opposite, which is what we're really yeah. fighting for, which is how do you do that within business? How do you unlock mm. the power that exists in business to do good? So we, yeah, that's yeah. why we loved your story so much when we first heard it. And, and, and yeah. just, to, and just uh, sorry, just, just to build on that with the, um, you know, the start of your story where you said, you know, I was, I was kind of one foot out the door. That's the danger for a lot of organizations. They're going to lose, you know, talented purpose-driven people who want to do more good in the world because they don't have that that sense of meaning in their roles and and kind of you you seem to have found your niche there so that's great yeah i think you're completely right i stumbled into that i i, I didn't consciously know that that was the best way forward and, and i've definitely been tempted to go over to the non-for-profit side i've been offered roles uh, and have pretty deep moments of reflection um, where i realized that would be crazy that would be mm. that would be nuts i've worked so hard to get to where i am in my career Mm. Um, and, you know, as I was coming up in my, um, in my career, you know, I was doing it for quite personal, uh, you know, personal reasons. I was like, mm. you know, I want to be the best. I want to do great things. And something flipped um, during that process of working with AIM uh, in my head where I was like, I've actually not been doing that just to serve myself, serve my family. That's really important. 
but mm. it's actually because I can do so much more from where I sit. Uh, I can actually affect the cogs and the systems and the ways that we work um, that will have a huge effect as opposed to me sitting on the outside and asking favours from the inside of my industry. Um, yeah. That was, that was great. And and let, let's circle back to some of those failures and and the, mm. the the lessons learned, I suppose, as well as the as the outtake, if there's a, yeah. if there's a couple you could share. Yeah, definitely. So in that first meeting um, where we were going to flip the, flip the model, so we're going to get kids to to nominate themselves and go through the process of getting their universities on board to have our non-for-profit um, mentoring on campus, uh, you know, we agreed on that. And then it became the question, so how will we get these kids in universities to do this when they know nothing about us, that we are no one to them? Uh, so I put my marketing and advertising hat on. I said, we need a shiny thing, right? We need something that is going to make them want to come and be part of our, our family. And so I jokingly, you do this in brainstorms, right? You come up with crazy ideas and you think this isn't going to go anywhere, but we'll work, work, waterfall it down into something that's achievable. I said to Jack, hey, what if we, um, we got a plane and we brought a plane load of people from the States to Australia to learn the Indigenous model and mentoring here at, at their home of the Indigenous folk and, and from the people that are actually doing it? And he's just this crazy, amazing individual who just went, yep, definitely. He knows shit. He stood up. He jumps on his phone and he starts ringing people. And I'm like, who is he ringing? Uh, and I find out he's trying to get onto Richard Branson's people. Uh, and I thought it was a joke. Uh, but no, this man, he knows everyone. Uh, and he didn't get onto him then. But within a couple of weeks, we had a um, private 747 taking off from LAX, landing in Australia on, I think it was the 14th of February. And we're about six or so months out. And so we have a plane booked. Uh, we have zero budget, no money whatsoever. So we've got an empty plane that's going to have two of us on it at this stage. And so I went into the mo mode of what do I do? I said, okay, we need media. We need a media and we need a lot of it. And so I pulled in every favour that I'd ever got over in the States. So I got every senior um, leader of our business on board and, and they started getting free media for us. So we, we got a, a, around $1.3 million worth of free media. Um, and then we need an ad. And so fast forward, we're sitting in a recording booth at iHeartRadio. We've got the cast of Orange is New Black doing voiceovers for this um, ad campaign. I'm pinching myself every moment thinking this is going amazing. We've got all this talent. We've got all this media. We finally went live. Um, and so we put it out into the world and we sat there. And I remember sitting there watching the website and seeing nothing happen. And I get a call about three hours later um, and it's Jack. He's sitting on the stoop of his place up in Queens. I'm sitting in my dark bedroom, nearly in tears. He's nearly in tears. Uh, we got one uh, application and all of our media wow. budget was gone. Uh, and so we'd, we'd rolled the dice. We'd played out, we'd, we'd shot our shot uh, and it didn't work. And so we still had this private seven, this private plane taking off and we had no one on it. Uh, and so that's when the pivot came um, and I thought, okay, well, it's not going to work the way that we usually do it for a, a business, right? I'm working on Converse at that, that same time, leading the strategy for them. Mm. And that would work because people know Converse, right? And, and, and they'd take note and they'd buy the shoes or they'd buy the kit, whatever it is. And so we pivoted uh, and we said, hang on, we're not about the flashy stuff. We never have been AIM. Um, it's about human connection. Uh, and so just threw the idea out there, why don't we get the mentors from Australia, these Indigenous kids, to come over, get on a plane, go into every campus that they can possibly get into and go face to face and to talk to people and to do what they do best, tell their own stories. And so we created what we call the hooded hustle because the hoodie is a symbol within um, AIM's organisation. And so we flew, I reckon there was about 20 kids over um, and adults from, from Australia who most hadn't never been to overseas before. We had to work with the Australian consulate to get them uh, some visas and some passports really fast. Uh, and they got off the plane, they had a backpack on and they had a ticket in their hands and that was it. And they went from campus to campus to campus to campus. And you fast forward, um, you know, this was three months out from the fl flight taking off. So we had three months to fill this flight. And so you fast forward and we had thousands and thousands of um, applications and we ended up taking off with about 320 people on board, amazing, you know, change makers mm. of America and the flight took off. Um, but what it taught me, you know, is what, what I think works um, or what we think works doesn't necessarily work. You know, we need to change the model for which we, we create change. If it worked already, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't need a department for good. Mm. You've got to be radical in what, you, what your solutions are. Uh, so, yeah, there was some pretty tough times in there. You know, we didn't sleep for, for months <laughs> on end. 
Um, but it, it was all worth it um, in the end. What what'd you put the um, what you put the the lack of traction for that that big media campaign and you know having all the you thought all the all the chess pieces were lined up why why do you what's your intuition about why that didn't why that didn't fire? So the the thing with advertising for non for profits is you have one one shot to hit them right. If you look mm. at a traditional campaign for a brand, we'll, you'll you'll talk about a traditional funnel right. You've got your awareness, sure. consideration, and trial, and everything else, and all the kind of theoretical stuff. But you have a full campaign with a lot of artillery with an unknown non-for-profit um, with a quite a, it's not a complex, but it's, 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 it's not, you're not going to get the concept of what they do instantly. Mm. You need to be able to tell that story. And so yep. you can put an ad out there and say, hey, look, do you want to change the world? Do you want to become a mentor? Um, do you want to fly to Australia? Do you want, do you want, do you want? I don't think people thought it was, I think people thought it was a, a con, you know, you mm. see that and you go, Oh, what you mean? I can get on a plane, and nah, that's got to be that's got to be bullshit. Yeah, right. Um, and so we didn't have that level of um, education or storytelling, which is what we got when we sent kids out to universities um, and to actually tell their personal story and go, "Hey, no, I'm wearing the aim kit here. Like this isn't. They heard it over and over again. This this sounds too good to be true. It's not too good to to be true. In fact, I'm a product of that. I'm in a country I've never been in before, and and the story goes on, and they build that human connection. And one of the things I love about that story is I think, especially when we work in the corporate world, we assume that not-for-profits have so much to learn from corporates. But actually, a lot of what you're articulating there is community organising, which is absolutely something that happens all the time in the not-for-profit world. So there's so much that can be learned both ways. And my time in Cambodia, that was one of the things, in all honesty, I thought I'm over there helping not-for-profits. I'm going to help them understand how the corporate world works and take these models. Actually, there's so much, and we've built it into a lot of our programs, but so many frameworks and ways of thinking that the not-for-profit world has that can actually benefit sort of broader brands and business. Absolutely. And it's changed the way that I approach strategies for my clients 100%. I think it's Dave Trott. I saw a quote from him not that long ago. Dave Trott's like an admin from over uh, in, in London. And he was saying, you know, they've got a hundred mil, million pound campaign. And, and he said, if you, that's just a waste of money. You know, if, I, if you gave me a hundred million pound, I'd turn up to every single person's doorstep and talk to them personally. Mm. Um, and so I think sometimes it's really easy for us to throw money at a problem as opposed to actually throwing the most fundamental of systems at uh, a solution. And, and it's making the, you touched on it there as well. It's, it's how do you make the complex kind of, um, yeah. or, 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 or make the, the, the connection that matters. So, you know, when, when, when people get face to face and they meet people from, from different communities and different walks of life and, and have a real sort of tangible experience and build that human empathy and that connection, um, you've immediately cut through the levels of, of doubt and complexity that might be, um, you know, that might be there. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I yeah. love it. Um, making, there's this one, one little story on making the connections that matter. There's a guy, Shawnee Edwards, he's an Indigenous fella from Northern Territory. He played AFL, um, didn't love it, wasn't for him. He retired really young and then found himself at AIM doing some amazing work. And so he was sitting over with us in the New York office being just like our, our like absolute killer. He'd just go do whatever is needed and, and get it done. So he was the first person to go on the hooded hustle. We wanted to see if it would work first. So we sent him to a university. Then we sent him to Chicago and when he was in Chicago, we called him and just like kind of jokingly, kind of not said, hey, you know who's in Chicago? Obama. And imagine if you could get Obama's support and goes, yeah, no worry, bro. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it. And um, so fast forward, <laughs> he, he, turn, he turns up to the Obama Foundation, walks up to the front desk and goes, hey, I'm Shawnee Edwards. I'm here to see Obama. And they looked at him and they're like, what are you on about? Like, that's not how it works. Sorry, mate. That's you've, he's not here anyway, but like, you've got to have a meeting and in, in, in the diary, blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I'll just sit here in the reception and um, I'll just wait for him to turn up. So you just let him know Shawnee Edwards is here. He <laughs> sat in the reception of the Obama foundation for two days straight. And he made mates with everyone that walked in. He was best friends with receptionists. He was best friends with everyone else. One day he meets someone walking in who's the head of um, education for the Obama Foundation and they start talking. And so then Shawnee's pitches his pitch to them. Uh, and then that opened up so many doors. They believed in our journey. And then we had that co-sign in all the different universities we'd turn up to saying, hey, we've met with so-and-so from the Obama Foundation. Um, and it was just one of those moments that changed everything for us. 
but I always look back on and, and the hustle that was at the heart of that was just unbelievable. Yeah, and I love how you have to do that when you don't have the resources, right? Like you suddenly start yep. to think about things differently and this whole point around connection is so important in this area. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious um, in, in terms of any advice or any steer you'd give people and we've got a million other questions but say i can imagine there'll be a lot of people listening now who who are kind of thinking wow i'd like i'd like a piece of what jason has i'd like to sort of pivot my my own career and 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 kind of you know i, I want to be head of good um <laughs> for, for wherever i work um what was the difference that made the difference in terms of you having those conversations and and you making this role happen and and and, and hmm. yeah making it a reality I think it was a few things, right? I think you need to get the runs on the board. I think you need to prove the success of it. Uh, mm. And that that's what we did. Like, I didn't have the role when, when we were doing the AIM work. And, you know, I did get some resistance from some people within um, our organisation. And, mm. and really importantly, I got my other work done, the paying work done. So mm. I, perf- I made sure that I performed above and beyond so that no one could say, actually, you're, you know, at client X, Y, or Z isn't getting the service that they've paid for. Mm. Uh, and so I think really importantly, it's finding the line that you walk between the two um, and, and acknowledging the importance of both. I think there was a period there where I got quite dejected, where I'd, I'd run from a meeting with, you know, some, uh, it was a universal music uh, meeting where we were talking to artists to try to get them on board to, you know, be the voice of us. Mm. Uh, and it was a really exciting meeting, right? And, and we, got, we got some nods and some yeses. Uh, and then you run into a budgeting meeting with um, with one of your clients and it felt like I go from trying to save the world to, you know, doing this. And I got a little bit dejected for a while and I got the best advice I ever had uh, from Jack Manning-Bancroft. He said, pick your chin up, stop being a wuss, you know, like you, you go and you do your work and that allows you to do this for good. Mm. So you mm. need to see it as a symbiotic relationship. Um, but in terms of advice for, for, for having a role like my own, you know, you just got to, you got you to be brave enough to go for it. Uh, mm. You know, I, I, I'd struggle to find any organization in the world that doesn't see the importance in, in having a role like this, uh, but you need to get the runs on the board uh, and you need to back yourself in uh, and, and push until you get what you want um, or not even what you want, what the world needs. And I think that's really important. Framing it up as mm. this isn't for me. This isn't for my career. I didn't ask to be the, the head of it, the department. I said we needed the department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I eventually got the role. I think you need to take yourself out of the equation um, a little bit uh, and do it for a bigger bigger cause, which is ultimately to make the world a fairer place. But never, ever forget the importance of what this looks like for the business as well, right? Um, you know, we, we don't um, – I'm not a naive um, global head of good. I know that what I do it, um, makes our company also look um, really good at the same time. Uh, and it helps us when we're pitching new business to prove that we are a company with a soul and with a heart, uh, which is really, really important. And you mentioned that, so you're part of your role in the head of good is with not-for-profits, but it's also working to help your existing clients do more good in their business. And obviously that has business benefits to them. How do you sell it to them? What's the sell to clients on that? Yeah, I I think the sell is quite easy. I think that most organizations and brands want to be doing good, right? And and most of them already have the framework in place to be able to do good. Uh, And so ultimately, you know, with with newer clients, I sit down, I listen to them, I understand exactly what their goals are, like what what is it that they are trying to contribute to? Uh, And then it's about workshopping it with them so that it's a digestible, true action in culture. I think a lot of times it can be something that is put onto a website um, and it's said in the mission statement of their business, but there isn't actually that link between the $100 million of media that they spend every single year um, and the actual effecting of change at the same time. So it's really, you know, it's a long slog too sometimes. It's not it's not going to happen overnight and I completely recognise that. I think um, my dad says the weirdest thing. It, it was always weird to me when I grew up. Um, he, he always said, um, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Uh, and <laughs> not that we, I'm saying we should eat elephants. That's completely not what I'm saying. Um, but it's really important to take it at bite-sized pieces, right? If I go in and I try to promise, I'll try to get them to do a, a complete huge campaign around this, this, this core um, belief of their business, um, I might scare them away. Um, I might actually turn them off for a long period as opposed to going, actually, let's just do this one little thing and do it really well. 
Mm. Okay, now let's take a bigger bite. Let's do this next thing and let's do it really well. Um, and I think when you see brands trying to eat the elephant all at once, you end up seeing some really bad outcomes um, and it looks really forced um, and often not really authentic um, and get a lot of backlash. Yeah, true. You do realize that's going to be the one outtake that, that blows up on Twitter. It's like no known elephant eater, Jason Maggs suggests. <laughs> I would, um, <laughs> no, I would uh, like to say I'm a vegetarian, <laughs> so I would never eat an animal, let alone an elephant. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the impact, um, your role and the, and the initiatives that have been run, no pun intended, has had on, on initiative as a, as a, as a business. Have you seen, have you seen the culture shift? Have you seen, um, other kind of, uh, you know, projects spring up in the business? What's, what's, what's been happening there? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, the, the part of my, my role, part of me. That makes me really one of the things that make me most excited is is the effect and the flow on it has for the other employees within our business. Uh, you know, the next generation of brilliant minds for our industry, uh, they want to be doing good. Uh, they are acutely aware of their you know their role to play in the future of our our world. And so, when we do have bigger projects, we have an actual platform. It's, uh, I don't know if you've seen Bonojo before. Uh, but it's a platform where we can put jobs onto it. So shout out to Bonojo, great platform. Everyone should be using it. Um, but you can put little bite-sized jobs on there. So a, a good example is I'm working for, uh, working with, sorry, Gotcha for Life, which is a mental health um, organisation that's all about prevention uh, and about flexing your mental muscle through mental fitness. And so we're we're working with them to formulate a brand campaign and a brand idea essentially. And so what I can do is I put up onto our platform all the different bite-sized jobs and then anyone from the organisation can be part of the global good. And mm -hmm. so the reason behind doing that was to democratise my role. The last thing I wanted to be was the emperor that sits on the top of the, the castle of good um, and be the gatekeeper of everything that we do. And mm -hmm. that, would be, that would be a complete and utter failure, right? One person can't change the world, but an entire organisation 100% can. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd say the biggest flow-on effect has been for anyone within our organisation seeing much more purpose in what they do and purpose beyond just, you know, doing a, a, a day where the office shuts down and we all go to a soup kitchen, which is important, yeah. um, but it isn't creating long-lasting change through what we do best for those that need it most. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answered the question. It does. That's brilliant. I, I I love the um I love the idea of using technology to to democratize it and to and and to get the word out and to let people know what's going on because it's all it's all too easy unless you're directly connected or bump into you in the kitchen or no one's bumping into anyone in kitchens at the moment to to not know to not know these these things are happening. So having a having a portal for people to plug into, I think is um I think is I think is amazing. That's great. Um, I'm curious about your definition of good. So we, we have ours, um, but, you know, we, we, and we, we, we kind of ban this term around, you know, what, how do you, how do you think about good? What's your, what's your, what's the, what's the frame you put around doing good? And, and I guess the responsibility of business within that. Yeah, look, i and you'll get this through the conversation. I'm not intellectual. Um, and so, so good doesn't for me have this um, sort of textbook definition. I think that it's a credit debit system, right? And I look at it through my own life. Uh, I think that, you know, you, you, you have your credit and your debits, right? So you, you might do some things that aren't so great in the world, not to say that you're evil or you're not, but I think that ultimately the, the pendulum has to swing towards the positive. Um, and so, and particularly for businesses, right? Um, we'd be crazy to think that um, the, the role of business is, is not to drive profit. Uh, I think that that is entirely and utterly why businesses are set up. But mm. to be able to offset or to be able to um, have a long-lasting change on um, the world and, and leave it a better place to which you started it is probably my definition of good. But ultimately, I think that I think that it's this is going to be too hippie. I think maybe, um, but it, it needs Never to be too a hippie. feel. Okay, here we go. This is this is going to be the Byron Bay coming out of me. So um, I, I think that good for me um, is when you go to bed and you, you, you sit your head down at the end of the night um, and you, I do, do it every night, every morning, I reflect on three things I was really happy about from the mm -hmm. day and three things I want to achieve the next day. And you know, it's kind of affirmations. Um, but, you know, if I, if I struggle to find those three things at the end of the night, then I know I haven't done my job that day. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually pushed forward and pushed hard enough to do good. 
And so there is an element of hippy-dippy, how you feel inside your gut um, that I attribute to what good is because, you know, that ultimately is um, a big, big part of the puzzle. Mate, you, you're speaking to the converted here. I do exactly the same thing. So definitely not too hippy. Well, not for us anyway. Um, and 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 that's really important. I think good is not just a cognitive thing. It's not just, you know, a tick box thing and it's up here. Um, and we obviously do a lot of work with people helping connect to purpose and, and find find what's going to be meaningful yep. for them because and, unless there's something in the, you know, some fire in the belly and some mm. some some desire to do something, then people are not going to put in the nights, the weekends and do the kind of work you were describing with AIM where, you, you know, your your kind of, you know, your life was consumed to some extent by uh, by making this happen. You know, unless there's a connection, it's not going to happen. And that, and that connection isn't just intellectual, as I said, it's it's in the body. So people getting in touch with what feels right um i think mm. is is really really important and um yeah i'm super super glad you you called that out yeah um, i think um i think uh, passion is a huge part of it and i i really push there's a slide that i present in, in every mm. single time i talk about um the for good work and it's like we need to make that shift from um doing things that feel good versus things that do good and mm. so i think that when we're just doing things that feel good they can sometimes be quite surface level, right? As opposed yeah. to actually doing what we do um, and, and it eventually it actually creates change and it does good. You will get that good feeling and it will be longer lasting um, mm. and it will be a fire underneath your bonnet uh, that makes you keep on going back and doing it again and again and again because you're seeing the actual actions take place. Um, you're seeing actual change um, form in front of you. So I like to just try to shift my, my, my mental thinking around that. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it actually makes me think about one of the key challenges in this area that I'd love to hear from you on, which is around measurement. So on mm -hmm. being able to put actual measurement around good, and there's lots of different routes, some of them incredibly complex, but how do you tend to work with your clients on trying to put some metrics around how that's delivering to their businesses? Yeah, the, the way I look at it, and for anyone that hasn't worked in advertising industry, um, we're an industry obsessed with awards. Uh, and so, you know, there's an award for absolutely every category and everything else. And, and there's, there's often awards for doing good. Um, mm. And within the criteria of those awards, more often than not, there's no impact um, criteria. It's, it's often we reached 10 million people our PR reached this many people. Mm. Um, ultimately, there was never that metric for um, how many lives were affected. And so that's a really important part of the puzzle. So then how do you measure how many people were affected? Uh, and I think the, 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 the biggest, the hardest challenge that we have is that that, that measurement and, and that system that you have to set up costs money. That is a bigger investment. Um, you know, working with AIM, for instance, we, we commissioned a white paper uh, by a, a consortium of all these different um, lecturers and, and intellectuals that looked at the pre and post effects. Uh, and now, the, you know, we were fortunate to get some funding to be able to do that, but not everyone's as fortunate to be able to try to find that, that funding. So I think ultimately we, we create these, so for, on the client side of things, we create these campaigns um, within marketing departments, right? And so what we know is marketing formulas and marketing um, metrics. We don't necessarily have the know-how or the capability to be able to look at bigger impact um, measurements. And so I think that there is a job still to be done and maybe it's within organisations like yourself um, where, where we can plug in specialists to be able to measure the impact because it's not something that we should even be self-reporting, I don't think. Mm. I think it's something that needs to be third-party verified um, for us to be actually to, to look back on it and reflect and go, this worked and this didn't, because it's really easy to say we did this thing mm. that was meant to do good. We think it worked, but it might actually be the case it didn't, you know, and, and in, in that process of it not working, we'll actually learn how to do it right. Um, yep. But yeah, that's, that's my ten, two cents worth. No, that's great. And, and, and I, I like the idea of the third party verification because we do know there's a degree of purpose washing that goes on with, um, you know, in some organizations and it, it uh, for the most part, I'm, a sh I'm you know, it, it probably does come from a good place. I don't think many, uh, many leadership teams are sat around Machiavellian, you know, sort of Machiavellian style sort of drumming their fingers together and thinking, how can we bamboozle everyone? But, Wolfie um, Parker. <laughs> Just a brief clarification there. Jason actually misspoke during the podcast 
Warby Parker are not the brand in question. It was Oscar Wiley who were ordered by the federal court to pay $3.5 million in penalties for misleading and deceptive conduct and making uh, misleading representations about their charitable donations and affiliations. So um, apologies, Warby Parker and Oscar Wiley. You should probably know better. All right, back to the show. Really? I, d- I don't know that story. <laughs> well, controversial, yeah. What um, they just got caught out doing it recently, yeah. And it really pissed me off, yeah. Oh, um, do tell. You know, so it's it was the buy one, give one model mm. um, that never took place. Uh, oh. So they, yeah, they sold a, a truckload of glasses and there was a Royal Commission into it and they've, they've been since fined. The news came out about two weeks ago um, where they weren't giving one. They, it just wasn't happening. And it, it just really got under my uh, skin. And, and I think it would anyone that works in this space because, you know, you try, try to constantly, um, you know, work on the perception in, in front of consumers mm. and within the business world. And, and, you know, when people do stuff like that, it's just, it's pure, it is evil in, in a way, mm. uh, but it's just a real kick in the guts why anyone would ever do that um, and not follow through, but use it as a marketing tool. Yeah, right. Okay, well, my, I'll take my uh, previous statement back then. There clearly are some people <laughs> sat around drumming their fingers together. But that, that it, it, it um, I mean, one of the things that's most sort of galling about that is, is it has a, uh, an effect on, on consumer perception of, of any brands doing that kind of work. Because I think conscious consumers are, are looking for brands that are, that are acting in an ethical way. And, and you know, we mm-hmm. certainly try and use suppliers and, and, and buy products and, and, and engage with brands that, that, are, that are trying to do good in the world. And to hear about one that, you know, I might have, you know, I might have, I don't think Warby Parker were here in Australia, but I might have used them. You know, I wear glasses. I, I, I could have picked them up thinking I was doing, doing a little good in the world. And that would have been, um, yeah a sour taste as a consumer and then obviously the 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 main impact is on the the person who was supposed to be on the on the receiving end of the uh the kind of philanthropic effort so um shame on you Orby parker (laughs) we usually like to call out good stories but you know there's a time and a place to uh highlight highlight the arseholes as well i suppose and i guess that's a perfect move on to any brands that you love in this space Mm. any businesses that you think are doing really good things yeah, I think there's a lot. Of, and I'm going to do a quick little shout out to Sean Edwards. Uh, anyone mm. that listens, um, check out House of Darwin, uh, an amazing uh, Indigenous-owned um, social enterprise. So he creates some really cool kit uh, and uh, all the proceeds go back to helping kids in remote Indigenous uh, countries within Northern Territory. Uh, he's doing a really, really good job and I love to see um, the individual instances like that. I think those those organisations are doing really, really well. And I think what he's been able to do is he's he's married the cool factor of fashion uh, with doing good, um, mm. but in a really authentic way. So I love that. But like, I'm I'm a big big fan of changing over your super guys. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Future Super and um, oh, there's there's a lot of organisations out there. Good Super, they've all got a pretty similar name. But it's, it's a really simple thing that we can do um, mm-hmm. that has a lot of change, a lot of effects. So basically using your super to create a world that you actually want to retire in. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And it took me a little while to get on that bandwagon. I'm, I'm, I'm shameful to admit. Uh, it was one of those things I was like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And then eventually it took me two seconds and, and it, it, makes it, it creates a lot of change. So, you know, I, I am absolutely a fan of the no single use um, plastic organizations and everything of the likes and i think they're really important but my latest um obsession has definitely been the super side of things mm. yeah c- completely agree it took me a while as well uh, it was and and even before i kind of clocked and really fell into the impact of it because i don't think i'd given it much much thought fortunately my partner's on top of it and we've we've been with an ethical super fund for <laughs> for quite some time but yeah. um I'm now like you, I suppose, a lot more vocal about spreading the word and letting other people know mm. because um, that wider trend of ethical investment and and kind of putting putting money in in the right places is um, is so important. So mm. yeah, okay, yeah. Shout, out, shout out to the ethical super funds for sure. <laughs> yeah, not as sexy, but a huge effect, I think. Mm, absolutely. And what about any of the big corporates? Are you seeing any of the more traditional brands that are doing things in this space? Look, I worked a long, long time um, over in the States uh, heading up the strategy for Converse. And so 
I, I got really close into the Nikes of the world because Nike owned Converse. And, mm. and I feel like this one's always used as, a, you know, a yardstick, mm. Nike, in, in that matter. But I think for good reason. Yeah. You know, I think what happened with Colin Kaepernick, uh, and if anyone that doesn't want to follow American sports, um, but Colin Kaepernick was an NFL quarterback uh, who started kneeling during uh, the national anthem in protest of um, pr- police brutality against um, black Americans. Anyway, fast forward, he lost his job uh, just by doing the right thing. Um, and he, he was kind of an outcast of, of the sporting world. And he, he, but he started a movement. He started something that was completely phenomenal um, and, and changed the landscape of, of American sports. But what Nike did was they backed him. He was the first non-athlete like, um, person to be sponsored and they did a huge campaign around him and they knew that they were going to lose half of American base. They knew mm. that the, 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 the results wouldn't be poor. People were burning Nike shoes. Mm, and it was, I remember. It was crazy. Um, but they, they were brave and, and they followed through. Now, when I use that example, I think, you know, in terms of social causes, they're great. But then you look at the flip side of it um, and the contribution that they have to the environment um, ain't so great. And so mm-hmm. I think when, to your question, when I look at large corporates, it's hard to be like they're absolutely killing it 100%. Yeah. Like you even, you even look at um, Patagonia, right, and the founder, he writes in his book, he, he knows he, he's pro- their, Patagonia is probably the best company um, at doing what they do in terms of environmental-friendly um, products, but he even puts his hand up and admits they're not where they need to be. Yep. And so I think it's really hard to look at a, a North Star and one company that's doing the best but or the most, I just hope that every company just tries to do their bit, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I was listening to a story about Nike um, in, a, in an audio book the other day, one of, one of Otto Sharma's books, he, yeah, Theory U. He's done a sort of lot of thinking in this space. And he was, he was reflecting on Nike back in the 90s when um, the scandals broke around um, the, um, the working conditions over in, uh, over in Asia. So at the, at the factories, et cetera, and the, you know, the, the under, underpaid, um, underpaid workers and poor conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And that scandal broke and a lot of people, a lot of consumers were upset about it and nike's initial position on that was that that's not our problem that's our suppliers and we just we just order things from them uh, and it took that public backlash for nike to take a more ecosystem um way of thinking about their whole supply chain and actually say mm. it's actually our responsibility to work with the suppliers to implement standards to implement um fair wage to implement working conditions etc cetera, etc cetera. um and I think that ethos and that that kind of point of waking up has has, has sort of carried through with Nike in a, in, in a mm. lot of ways in in how they how they do business. So mm-hmm. um, it's 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 increments and it's small steps and it's yeah. it's no no businesses well very few businesses are, are perfect right out the gate right. And we have this yeah. sort of philosophy that good is never done. Yeah, it's not a fixed yeah. point. You don't suddenly become good and then it's all ticked off. There's always work yeah. to do and you're always going to have to try and get better. Definitely, and I, I, I have the exact same ethos, and I think also there's no competition in good. Doing good yep. Yep. is a really important part. You know, there's uh, throw all that competitive shit out the window, um, brand X and Y, like come together to solve the problem um, is, is, is often, that is the only way that I think mm. we're going to get there in the end. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Jason, are you? Um, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Are you up for a few um, rapid-fire questions to, uh, to to help close out the episode? I would love some rapid-fire. Okay. Well, the questions are rapid-fire. Your answers answers certainly don't have to be. Yeah. Um, what do you obsess about on evenings and weekends when you're not when you're not being forced for good in the world? Real estate. I not that I'm buying any real estate. Um, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. And this is not PC, but like, it's my porn, you know, like I'm online late at night looking at it and my wife's like, come to bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, there's something about it. Hey, and I think it's the strategist in me. It's just like a, mm-hmm. a little peek into someone else's um, world or life. And, and like, you know, you walk past a beautiful house on the street and how many times you look at it and you're like, Oh, I wonder what it's like inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just been an obsession of mine for a long, long time. And it's just how I kind of zen out and think about something other than um what i do at work i love it amazing so you talked already about changing your super fund other than that what's the biggest change you've made in your personal life towards sustainable living i think that 
it, there is enough shit in the world. Like, guys, we have, there's, I think it's like 27, we buy 27 kilograms of clothing each a year, which is 500 million kilograms. Yeah, or 5,000 mm. uh, tons that goes into landfill every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable, right? You do need to buy some new things, but I try to buy um, secondhand, upcycled, recycled, wherever possible. Uh, whether it be furniture, furniture. I actually like secondhand furniture. I think it's Same. great. Yeah. Um, I, I think cars, you know, the moment you drive it off the lot, it's secondhand. So just buy a secondhand car. I don't think we need to be overproducing. Um, and fashion's a big one. I think, you know, if we can kind of get off the drug of fast fashion, um, that's a huge, um, it'll have a huge effect um, on, on the environment around us. And also, I just think vintage stuff looks cool as well. So, you know, it's a win-win in that situation. But I think my wife and I, what we've tried to do, um, you know, we've got a new home and we've been trying to furnish it. And it's, it's, it's going on to awesome things like your Facebook marketplace. There's gems yeah. on there. We don't need to go out and produce more and more and more and more. I think we've got plenty for everyone out there and there's some cool finds on there. So I, I really try to, try to buy a secondhand upcycle, recycle as much as possible. Yeah, beautiful. We did exactly the same when we got our house. I think we we furnished the entire place for a few hundred besides I think our bed and our fridge which we yeah. we got new. Everything else in the house was from um the Bauer or um you know or, yeah, second hand off Facebook marketplace. And yeah. at the at the moment we're seeing it massively. We've got a 5-month-old baby in the house and um, Congratulations! Your your baby, not yeah. just a random baby. Not just a random baby. We, we didn't we didn't we didn't just steal it. Um, you didn't but, get that second hand, did you? <laughs> <laughs> but the um, but yeah, I like I, I, we barely bought anything brand new. The the amount of the amount of baby clothes and they grow out of it in you know a handful of weeks. <laughs> it doesn't get worn yeah. out. So um, that that as a second hand marketplace is absolutely thriving. So um, yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, are you reading or listening to anything super interesting right now or, or any books or documentaries that have really shaped your shaped your thinking on this that you'd like to shout out? Uh, yeah, I think a couple of books I always try to um, revisit and also pass forward um, are like Steal Like an Artist by Austin mm. Cleon and, and the, all these books kind of helped me to formulate my strategy mm. strategies, but it, I've found it really helped with doing good. Um, so I've actually ri- written a list in case I got to ask the question, but also predatory thinking by Dave Trott. So, okay. you know, it's, it's getting ahead of the problem and thinking of it like no one else will. And I think in what we do, you, for us to be able to actually, actually have to solve these problems, we've got to think in a way that's never been done before. Um, and then just last one for anyone listening that wants a great book is whatever you think, think the opposite by Paul Arden. It is unreal. Um, and all those books I have sitting in my office and I actually hand out to people that I'm mentoring along the journey. I think they're really important. But in terms of like, I love podcasts, but mm. I, I kind of, I treat it like 25, 75. So 25% of like, you know, feeding my brain for good. <laughs> and then 75% just listening to true crime podcasts. And yeah, nice. <laughs> obsessing over them. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah how, how I built this, how I built this by, um, Guy Ross is just a great mm. one. And it, it, whenever I listen to it, I get motivated to actually get up off my butt and, and do something good yeah. uh, with the world. But yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's my go-tos. Beautiful. I, I, I listened to Austin Cleon. I, I got onto him. He was at South by Southwest and I saw him speak yeah. and I immediately went out and bought um, Still Like an Artist and um, oh, what's, what's his other one? I forget. But yeah. Uh, sh- show Your Work. Show Your Work. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And they're both super short books as well. There, yeah. You can you can read them in inside of half an hour. Um, yeah. But, and yeah, the lesson's amazing. so great on Still Like an Artist, right? Because mm. we're always so obsessed with creating, coming up with something that's new. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be that way you know you you take little elements from this that and the other and then you combine it to create something that's unique to to that circumstance Mm. Uh, and I think that changed my thinking early on in my career where I always wanted to be you know I'd have the freshest newest best thinking and and it would get me into an absolute hole late at night where I'm trying to come up with something that's never been done before when in fact there were 10 different things that were done similarly and Mm. I could just take little elements of it and create something that's truly refreshing or the depressing thing where you think you've come up with a brand new model yeah. in the world and then you then you go Google it and you're like, oh, no, no, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is old hat. That's weekly for me. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And there's a couple of books there I haven't heard of, so I'm looking Same. forward to looking yeah. up and we will put those in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, I think final questions for you now. Any parting thoughts or anything you'd like to ask the audience? 
I think I, I generally end in the same way, same when I present is, you know, um, I got the three R's. Like I just, I just encourage everyone to be um, restless, radical and relentless. Um, I think the restlessness comes from if you wake up every single day and something's putting a fire in your tummy and you're unhappy with how the world is, then it's, it's got to be you. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? Be restless and that person actually creates the change. Um, you need to be radical. Um, safe doesn't save the world. Uh, you know, our, our solutions need to be radical in its absolute DNA, um, which means you need to read those books. You need to, um, you know, be, get educated enough so that you can um, come up with radical re solutions. And then relentless is eat no for breakfast. This stuff ain't easy. Uh, you're going to get 10,000 no's before you get a yes but you just got to use it as fuel and eat it, eat it up. Um, and so I think that's my, my advice to everyone. But other than that, like, just get started. I think sometimes you just got to take a bite out of that elephant. I love it. And in the spirit of stealing like an artist, there are some sound bites there we're definitely going to nick um, <laughs> and use uh, all credit to you as well. Um, and uh, Jason, where can people find you if they want to uh, want to reach out and say hello? Uh, Jason Mags is my name. So you just look me up on uh, LinkedIn, but happy to have you on my Instagram as well. Jason underscore Mags, M-A-G-G-S. But um, yeah, just drop me a note. I'm always open for a chat. If you're a brand looking to looking to do some do some media spend initiative. <laughs> initiative, 100%. Best agency right. in the land. All right, good stuff. Um, anything, anything else from you, Kerry? No, I think that was a pretty wonderful chat. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Jason. Um, really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and sharing your, uh, sharing your thoughts and wisdom with the audience. And uh, listener, thank you for, uh, for, for joining us for the conversation. And we shall see you next time. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.